Greetings, fellow citizens of Disneyland. How do I still not have a button? After all of this, trying to build the Disney community and telling the story, uh, still no button. But I thank you for showing up. And today, I have a very big announcement on the future of, well, Disneyland for Designers and all the Disney content that I make. But first, let's get you this week's Disneyland story. It's a topic I've wanted to talk about for quite a long time because it's something I absolutely adore. Well, I'll admit, something that makes the magic leak from my eyes. And today is the perfect day. It's episode 52 of Disneyland for Designers, The Partner Statue. Friends, is it amazing that some things fill so perfectly place? It's absolutely hard to imagine, dare I say, impossible to believe that they were never where they are. Today's story starts in Disney's California Adventure at the northeast corner of Bonavista Street and Hollywood Boulevard, where we see a young, dapper, 21-year-old Walt Disney arriving here in Los Angeles at the golden age of Hollywood in 1923. Plenty of people, they started with nothing. Just a suitcase and a dream. They packed up their cases and went to new places. Just a suitcase and a dream. They made the world into a place like you had never seen. And start your dreaming. The rest is up to you. It don't matter if you're rich or broke. It don't matter if you're giving up hope. All you need is a little drive to make your dreams begin to come alive. Hey, fellas, here's the late edition, and it's got a big headline. Mr. Disney, he traveled west, just a few bucks to his name. Along the way, he met Mickey Mouse, and the world will. I guess suitcase and a dream is the easy way to tell the story. Let's just take this big epic story and just break it down into a chorus that any child or adult can tap their foot and sing along to. But the way I love to tell the story is just like this. Here we find a young man, like so many others, and to be honest, just like myself, coming out to California, the Golden State, in hopes of discovering the gold rush of their dreams. It's so important, I believe, to point out that Walt Disney in this statue is facing south, looking across the busy street, looking across the thoroughfare, full of fans of all ages from every point on planet Earth. But he's looking over this sea of people to catch a glimpse at Carthay Circle, dreaming of one day changing the entire face of what the entertainment industry looked like when he showed up to the capital of the entertainment industry. It's so important to note that here we see Walt Disney not looking away from his dream, but looking at it dead on. He's looking at the fame theater. And what he's really looking into is his future as the storyteller. Carthay Circle is one of two bookends in Walt's famous career. We have Carthay Circle to the south, or metaphorically speaking, going back into his life's timeline. See, this represents Walt's first big win in his career. 15 quick years, a decade and a half after his California dreaming began, the dream with Carthay Circle is now a reality. Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs in 1937 
was one of the Walt Disney Company's first big wins. And when I say big wins, I mean a monumental win as how this project would put this company on the map and keep them there, single-handedly keep them there for the decade to come. Not only did this film set unprecedented moments and historical firsts in the world of cinema, but it gave Walt and Roy, these two ambitious brothers, something very important in business. Damn near unlimited cash flow from Bank of America. They now had the means to fund their Hollywood dreams. This first bookend in Walt's career would start off the company. It would make the Walt Disney Studios a real legitimate film company, a real legitimate entertainment company, and a lesser man, and there'd be nothing wrong with this, would have been so happy with this victory. You came out to California, you came out to Los Angeles, you wanted to make a movie, you made a wildly ambitious and successful film, you did it. You beat the odds, you set your conquests, and you turned it into reality. Many people would be so happy with this victory. But not Uncle Walt. He needed a little bit more, and thank God he did. And all of this is why the Storyteller statue stands flush on the ground, just like you or I. It's easy, it's approachable. You can walk up to Walt, you can put your arm around him, you can ask him a question, you can pose for your own personal photo with no one else around. Here, our hero is an everyman, looking his dream right across the street, right in the eyes. With his jacket thrown casually over his shoulder, this is a guy ready to get to work. And get to work, he did. Eighteen years and twenty feature films later, Walt would put his big last book in on the shelf of his rich life story. Doing the impossible, proving so many critics, co-workers, friends, and family wrong with the success of Disneyland. The thing that people told him not to do, but he did it. And oh, am I happy that he did. Walt's last biggest accomplishment in a life that was full of so many accomplishments. Here we see Sleeping Beauty's castle, the heart of the Disneyland Park. It represents the end of one of America's greatest creative minds. Not a perfect man, as no man is, including your narrator today, but an amazing American life, celebrated from its origins at Carthay Circle, the start of his Hollywood dream, to Disneyland his lasting legacy, and a gift that Walt has now given to millions of children from ages 1 to 101. A gift that has been given out daily to people from all around the world to come to enjoy it. A day to get away from everything that holds you behind in the real world to escape to a place where happiness isn't just something that you hope for, a place where happiness is guaranteed. Sitting comfortably below this final bookend of greatness, we find the partner statue. I bet you thought I would never get to it. But it's important to me to speak of all the greatness, the unbelievable journey of getting to this moment of celebrating this famed partnership. Here we find Walt at the age of 53, right around his creative prime of 1954. Walt again is facing south, but this time looking back or away from this bookend. 
The last time we found an immortalized version of Walt Disney, he was looking at his dream on his horizon. But here, the journey is near complete. All the big conquests, the big dreams, the big projects, all the major struggles, those are simply behind him. And here we find Mr. Disney looking south back at all of his many accomplishments and doing so with his best friend in the business. His greatest gift that he was given, Walt's imagination. Disney wasn't much of an artist. He wasn't much of an actor. And damn wasn't a good singer. But Walt had a very unbelievable gift that he worked hard to fully materialize, to fully flesh out. It wasn't given to him without struggle. But Walt was given an unbelievable tool, vision and imagination. Seeing him here, looking over his kingdom, with his imagination materialized and standing right beside him. He looks back on what a wild ride this epic life has been. And when you look at his face, you can see a childlike excitement for a man in his mid-50s. And mid-50s was pretty far in the life cycle of the mid-50s. But this childlike excitement that you see on his face, that, my friend, that has been contagious and spread to over hundreds of millions of guests of all ages. Normally, every day of the year, at every hour of the day, spread all around planet Earth. You see, friend, the sun is always shining on a Walt Disney Park somewhere, every single minute of every single day. And if you're fortunate enough to live in an Orange County, whether it be in Florida or out here in California, you can kind of take for granted what it means to be near a Disney park. But when you think about this epic milestone that every single hour of every day, someone somewhere is enjoying the magic that this man's vision and imagination materialized and brought to life, it is one of the greatest accomplishments in the entire history of the entertainment industry. And just for a quick example, it's what brought you and I together today or all the other days that we've spent together as partners and believers in Walt Disney and the magic that was created at Disneyland that we have both witnessed with our own eyes, not at the same time, but at some moment, we have each witnessed Disney magic. And that's why we're believers in it. And that's why we come back here each and every Wednesday and why we love to visit the park whenever we can. stop and celebrate that level of greatness it makes sense that this version of mr disney you can't just walk up to him you can't just put your arm around him it's very very hard to get the perfect picture here we see walt where he belongs standing tall standing proud standing happily up on his pedestal you don't get alone time with this version of walt you have to share him with everyone that surrounds him. This is the burden of success. This is the burden of being all things to all people at all times. Here we see Walt standing six foot five inches, way bigger than what he was in real life. But isn't that how we remember the mascot for adults? A man that lived a bigger life than most? A man now memorialized as a reminder of this man's dream and how he set out to accomplish it. In a rare moment, amongst ourselves, in this noisy place, to internally be quiet as we reflect back on our own path and our own dreams.
As I have come to refer to Carthay Circle and Sleeping Beauty's Castle as the two major bookends in this man's career, the big ambitious start and the great conclusion. When I look at these two statues of Walt, I often say if the storyteller statue is Walt's journal or his diary, or maybe even to make it very easy, the to-do list of a great man, the partner statue is Walt's bigger than life legacy that he left behind. So if storytellers is Walt's journal, then the partner statue is Walt's biography. Sure, it's a little over-exaggerated, and we've smoothed over some of the rough parts, and it's definitely abbreviated for convenience of storytelling. But when we think about the art of storytelling and the art of Disney storytelling, isn't it ironically and fascinating that the story of this man standing in this statue is just as fascinating as all of the stories that the storyteller came to California to tell. In a weird twist, a man comes to California to be a storyteller and ends up living a life that is one of the greatest stories that would ever be told. And even though the partner statue would go on to proudly stand at Walt Disney World, far away at Tokyo, up the road in Burbank at Walt Disney Studios, and eventually out in Europe in Disneyland Paris. The statue is another item in a long line of Disneyland originals, where you can remake them, but you can never replicate them. And the magic that they possess, when seen, when visited, at Disneyland. Anaheim, California, 1955. Walt Disney's original Magic Kingdom. I hope you enjoyed today's Disneyland story or the book report of the episode. I don't have a co-host today because today is a conversation that I wanted to have with you. And the reason why I was happy to tell the story of the partner statue today, not only do I absolutely just adore that statue, like, you know, no big news flash, like, oh, Bricky, you're the only one that likes this. Everyone loves the partner statue. But I wanted to try it again to do kind of the impossible that I did with episode 50, where you try to take the story of Sleeping Beauty's castle and what it means to so many of us and try to materialize that into a monologue, to try to tell that story that you already know because you feel it in your heart. But it's nice, I think it's nice, to hear somebody else say it, to play it, to have it echo through your ears, and also during the pausedemic to remind us that these are things that we love, and one day we will all get back to loving them again. But today, I want to give some of you the opportunity to become my partner in the Disney content that I create. And I want to really take the time to explain that to you. So yes, being upfront, I am looking for money in exchange for services and products. So if you're somebody who that rubs you the wrong way and you think that all content should somehow be free, that's fine. We can part ways now and you can enjoy the first portion of every Disneyland for Designers, but there will be a paid wall that's going up at episode 55 because I believe that it's important to put out free content so new people can discover those stories that work, but it's also important to reward those that reward me with the opportunity to keep making this content as my full-time job, my full-time career. And yes, I'm an adult. I chose to do this with my life. And I'm happy that I chose to do this with my life, but I was also, I have chose to charge for the services that I believe that I'm great at. So if this is where we have to part ways in today's episode, that's fine. But if anybody that goes beyond this threshold, I would just simply say to you, I have never, ever once asked you for anything for free. And I would hope that you could have that same respect for me, my time, my services, and my talents of trying to entertain you. With all that being said, let's talk about 
Club 1313. You see, I am a podcaster by career. That's kind of my main gig. I have Adventures in Design. You can find it at the AID Network. And it's all modeled after traditional radio, the podcasting industry that is. Today is episode 1313 of the AID Network. That means I have produced officially, I've actually produced more, but, but as I count them, you know, with the sort of record label type counting system, today is episode 1313, which we all know. That's 1313 Disneyland Way, Disneyland Drive. That 1313, if you look in the alphabet, that is M.M. Mickey Mouse. And yes, intentionally, I did not say Mickey's name during my conversation about the partner statue because I really believe that it's more about Walt and a lot less about Mickey Mouse. I believe he is there to be a mascot of the imagination, but not the full intent of the statue. At least emotionally, that's how I interpret it. So podcasting, unfortunately, is modeled after traditional radio. So when you were a kid and you got in the backseat of the car and your mom and dad was driving and you listened to the radio, it was free for mom and dad. It was free for you to listen. But radio, don't kid yourself, used to be a bazillion dollar industry. I mean, radio stations made big money. And when podcasting came about, the, the dumbest thing that was done with it is that it was modeled after traditional radio, where, well, if it's on the radio, it should be free. But I say to you, how does it get on the radio? How does it get into the podcast? Recording is the fun part. It's also the easiest part. Writing scripts, booking guests, coming up with the storylines, creating the content flow of what you're going to talk about each and every week, editing it, producing it, publishing it, and then promoting it. That is many, many hours. And to think that for some reason that should all be free because it's fun to do, that's not how it works in the real world. There are plenty of things that are very, very fun to do, but they're also very lucrative because people enjoy doing them. But there's so much hard work that goes into that moment of, say, the Super Bowl. Yeah, when those guys are out on the field this Sunday, they'll be having a great time playing the Super Bowl. But each of them have worked their entire adult lives and many of them through their adolescent and teenage years to get to the moment of the big game. So to say that you just show up and play the Super Bowl and that's really fun and you shouldn't be paid for that is ridiculous because we all know the strength training, the physical skill, the assets that go into being a top level player. And by the way, I seriously hope Tom Brady loses, but somehow he always wins. Neither here nor there. The problem with podcasting is it's modeled after a radio, a free model. But when you're someone like myself that does pretty niche things like over on the AID network where we largely talk about design or over here where we talk about Disney, I'm not a celebrity. I'm also not some sort of affluent uh, influencer. So my audience is pretty small, but that doesn't deteriorate the size or the power of that audience. And that also doesn't deteriorate the quality of the content that I produce. You see, I have found, and I say this when I get asked to go speak at conferences, you don't need millions of people that kind of know who you are. You just need a few hundred or dare I say a thousand that really care who you are. And most importantly, care about that relationship that they have with you. So back in 2014, Way, way early, before Patreons even existed, I monetized my podcast by saying, if you like the work that I'm doing, I want to continue to do it for you. I'm willing to try this for a year. I will always put out a free hour of content, 45 minutes to an hour of content, each and every day. Then if you want to hear the second part, the bonus content, you have to pay for that. And if you want to hear the archive of the podcast, you have to pay for that too because episodes expired after 30 days. This was my way of saying I'm willing to give you something free, but if you enjoy it, I'm also believing, and I'm right here, that I should be paid for doing that. That was the platform that I started with the Circle of Trust. When I started doing Disneyland for Designers with Jared way back when in 2019, 
this podcast was part of the network and it was created in the same way. You only got to hear the first portion for free if you were just a Disneyland fan. But if you join the Circle of Trust, you got to hear the second part of the episode. Well, I stopped doing that back on April 1st when I decided to start doing this weekly as long as the park was closed. Back then, nobody knew that the park would be closed for well over a year. So for the last year, the Circle of Trust has been very gracious in paying for bonus content every Wednesday and allowing me to do something that was completely free. See, they were paying me money to reward them, and I wasn't rewarding them because I was giving the entire thing away. Basically, for those folks on Wednesday, there was no reason to be paying. But we have an unbelievable community in the circle of trust. We have an unbelievable relationship. And I was able to turn what I was doing with Disneyland for Designers into secondary content, letting them see how I was building this thing, where it was going, and dare I say, making an interesting storyline for them to follow from a business perspective, from a creator's perspective, from a freelancer's perspective, essentially any perspective they want, even if they do not like Disneyland and friends. There are people out there that newsflash, they don't like this the way that we like this. YouTube is monetized, and I'm putting a lot of energy into YouTube because I really enjoy that platform. You see, in an earlier point in my life, I was in a band and I was in the music industry after I was in the band working in the retail aspect of the music industry. Then I would work in the art side of the music industry and I was a celebrated gig poster artist and, and, and printmaker and even found my way being an official artist for the Wonderground Gallery. So YouTube is my combination of loving music, loving storytelling, and loving visual arts all combined together. And YouTube is monetized, but it, rightfully so, this just shouldn't be easy for anyone, it takes years and thousands of hours to get to where that monetization is actually something that is on par with the time invested in it. To be fully transparent with you, on YouTube, most months I make somewhere between $600 and $800. But if I'm being honest with you, I spend about four or five hours each and every day, Monday through Friday, working on YouTube. So when you do the math, it is way, way below a livable wage, especially for someone who lives in Southern California. So it takes thousands of hours to get to where YouTube is fully monetized. But how do you get to there? Like, how do you bridge the gap of those thousands of hours without the support of your audience? You see, smaller creators such as myself, we need you to be partners with us. And it's a very difficult business model because I can't give you everything that Disney Plus can give you for that same price point. I can't give you what Netflix can give you for that same price point because their business models exist on what if you got millions of people to give you $6? Well, then you would have $6 million per every million. But if you only have a few hundred people and they give you $6, well, congratulations, you now have $1,200. And not the $1,200 is something to turn your nose up, but once again, it's not a livable wage. And divided by the hours, it's not a fair hourly rate. So for a smaller creator such as myself, you don't need thousands of partners or millions of partners, even though that would be nice, but it's not going to happen if you don't have that many people actually listening to the content. A smaller creator such as myself needs a very small and a very dedicated community to support the content that they create. These, and I say partners and friends, because if you notice, I never use the word fans. I never use the word followers. I love calling you my friend because I do believe that if you show up and you consume this content, that we have a friendship. And for some of us, I would like to turn that friendship into a partnership. You see, last year, as an adult, I'm not asking you to feel sorry for me. I'm just telling you how I'm building my business. Full transparency, honesty, that is my brand. Sometimes it gets me in trouble, but you always know where you stand straight with me because I always shoot you straight. Last year as an adult during the pandemic, 
I made the decision to put my training camp on pause. You see, I have worked for myself now for over two decades. I know a lot about being a freelancer. I know a lot about being a small level entrepreneur. I know an insane amount about the art industry, the music industry, the entertainment industry. Like I am rich with life experience and I do group training in a thing called training camp. And I decided to put that on pause because I felt like last year was just so weird that taking people's money and trying to teach them how to navigate the world of business during a year that didn't feel like a normal year of business, I don't know, it just didn't feel like the right thing to do. And I trust my instincts more than I trust anything. So I made a decision as an adult to put training camp on pause. That is a decision that probably cost me about $40,000. I'm not complaining. I'm not saying you owe me 40K. Just being honest. I'm just letting you know what the stakes are at my age for somebody that does this professionally. And basically, I put that 40K up on a shelf to do something that I loved for little to no money at all to tell the Disneyland story weekly. Now, there were some of you that did go over to Anchor and you did pledge at different rates. And I can't thank you enough for giving me what totaled up to be about $501 from April to December. Over those eight months, the honor system yielded $500. And I am sincerely grateful for that $500. But I never withdrew any of that money out of the account. It's still sitting there because I wanted to see a total of what the honor system got me. I'm going to do all this work for free. And if you want to support it, you just throw me a couple of bucks. And what it, (laughs) what it yielded was once again, money that's not even close to being a livable wage, but also a sort of a reminder that in this world, we respect things that we pay for because when we pay for it, it now cost us and now it hurts us a little bit or it's a, it's a pride and I make money so I can have nice things. And so I kept that money in that account just to see where it went and just to remind myself of what I needed to do if I wanted to keep doing this. Now all these financial decisions were made by me as an adult and I'm cool with it because I was gambling on a bigger future. I was gambling on this is something that I absolutely adore doing and I love it. And if I can once again in my life, like I've been able to do so many different times in my life, if I can find a way to people to pay me to show up and play music, that's amazing. If I can find a way for people to pay me to draw or to design on the computer, that would be a dream job. If I could just get paid a few thousand dollars to go speak for 45 minutes about my life story and what I do, that is a great afternoon. But all of that happens by taking chances, living a life that is rich and worthy of sharing, but then also knowing when it's time to take that experience and monetize it. So being an adult, I know that I can't work the better part of another year for free. I got away with it for a year because there's always a little bit of room. But now, as the world is returning to normal, I need to return my expectations to normal, and I need to spend my time normally. So what I'm saying to you is this, is now is the time that this project either gets monetized or it goes away. So I'm dedicating myself to doing all of the different things that I'm promising over at club1313.com for a year. And if the podcast can pick up enough steam, and if the YouTube channel can pick up enough steam collectively together, if this can become a livable wage, then it stays forever. But if it doesn't, then it goes away. And I will have to say, well, give it a good try, but the world just simply doesn't want this. And if it does go away, no one complains because I gave it a hard try. At that moment, I'll have done it for two years, one year for free, basically, and another year trying to build this. And enough people didn't want to build it, so therefore, the business is unjustifiable and doesn't deserve to be a business. So, why build my own thing and not go with Patreon? Well, one, Patreon didn't exist when I did this the first time in 2014. And I learned a lot of things about building my own online community. Because you see, I kind of feel like Patreon 
or that business model is saying, hey, I want to do rad stuff for you. Give me money. I'll do rad stuff for you. And there's nothing wrong with that transaction. I just want to make the podcasts or videos or movies that I want to make. And if with your support, then I can make them. I love that. I love that so much. But what I really learned, the core value of the circle of trust was, was the community of the people that paid for the content. So when you join Club 1313, and there are three different levels that you can join at, are you supporting the content? Absolutely, yes. That money, first and foremost, will then be poured over into the podcast, basically making sure that I make enough money to make a living and do my part for my family. But anything over that excess goes into you know, buying products to give away, uh, going on bigger trips, exploring other Disney parks, you know, finding unique ways, as I love to do, to keep telling this story and to keep entertaining you. So, yes, the money, first and foremost, does support the content. But making an online community is the part of the content that I want to focus on the most. Because I I believe that if you're willing to put down money for the podcast or the video content, that you're buying it. And other people are going to consume portions of it for free. But since you're buying it, since you're you're putting money into it, you're now essentially a partner. And the reason why I love using this metaphor of a partnership with Disneyland is I've learned how to go to Disneyland by myself and have a good time. But when I turn the camera on, and I bring you there with me, I start to have a great time. So the idea for this crowdfunding for the content is how do we make it as community-driven as possible? How do we make it to where you don't just pay for this content, but you feel like you're an owner of it? Because sometimes your voice, your concerns are, are in there. So what I've tried to do is I've tried to design a way to where, according to what you can afford, you get more access to being part of this community. And my goal for that community would be, and I don't know that we'll be able to do it, I I think that we can, but what we've made with the Circle of Trust is absolutely golden. I mean, the friendships that those people have is so much bigger than the show that brought them all together. Like, quite honestly, that is the biggest win of that. And to try to put lightning in a bottle twice is a bit of a fool's errand, but I'm also a bit of a fool, so I'm willing to try to go out for that errand and make it a reality. But the way that I would dream that this would all work is that I would be able to make the podcast weekly with your input. I'd be able to reward you with bonus content and be able to give you a space to hang out and talk with other folks, me included, about what we just heard and about where all of this is going. And then with the video content that I'm doing Monday through Friday, I would love to find a way for some of you to be a part of that. You know, if we're talking about Disney news, I've designed a way where some of you will be in a fast track lane. So if I'm doing a live stream and you know, humble brag, the chat is starting to get to go kind of fast and it's hard to read everything. Why not give the people that are paying for me to do that a fast track, a fast lane to where, oh, over in Club 1313, I can see that my boy Breeze is asking me this question. So when the YouTube chat is going to only get faster as the channel grows, Breeze is throwing down money every month. And I'm just using him, but we'll go with Tony Mendez. <laughs> Tony Mendez or Breeze or, or just, you know, Amanda Kay or just, you know, Anna B. Like all these amazing people that I've met. Somebody somewhere is paying for me to do this. So if they want to say something about the new Star Wars store, I feel that they, because they're now a partner, should have their voice heard. I also love meeting people and talking to new people. And it would be fun to have a way when I do the live streams to... Bring people in. Have a conversation with them. Hey, this is the new Disneyland story. Here are a couple of my friends. Let's get some other perspectives. And if you just randomly just grab people, I mean, you can do that, but A, you don't know who you're going to get and you don't know what kind of real live 
shit show that could turn into. Sorry, I never curse on this content, but that's the perfect term to say that. The idea of creating the club is to really bring like-minded people together to create a community where we get to know each other and we get to share our love of these mutual interests that have all brought us together. So making a community out of the content, it is the big one-two punch. It is the goal. And as of right now, today, this episode released at 1300 hours as the 13 hundred no 13 1313th episode of the aid network i'm saying that if you want to support what i'm doing you can go to club 1313.com there are different levels for you to become a member and i'll be honest with you compared to some other online communities or other patreons it's not cheap it's not the cheapest one out there i should say and i'm gonna defend that and say that it's by design because the idea of just casting out a Patreon program and say, just blindly give me money and I'll take $2 from just anyone. That's not really going to fix or do what I want this to do. I want people to pay a club membership. I want people to see the value and all the different things that the club brings together. I want people to get to know one another get to be friends. I want to watch movies together, go out to eat, you know, experience things in the real world. Like I want to have a community of people at different levels that are affordable by them that can mature and materialize into something that means that this content not only is reflective of this place that we love, but a community of friends that aren't just like people that blindly like listen and comment, but characters that you get to know and characters in the storyline of everything that we're talking about that you learn to care about because you get to know these people. So the simple gamble is this. I've put a lot of time in trying to figure out how to do this podcast weekly, figured it out. Put a lot of time in trying to figure out how to do YouTube videos Monday through Friday. Some live streams, taking you into the park, keeping you updated on what's happening in there. A couple of ambitious videos that show the future of where I would love the channel to go when I have more funding. And also ways to talk about Disneyland news. And to, in my opinion, I'm trying to fill a couple of holes that I saw in the Disneyland YouTube world. And YouTube has done something amazing for all of us fans. It has given us the opportunity to have channels that cover this thing that we love as if it's just as important as what the president's doing today. But it also gives us access to the park at the end of a long day or at the beginning of a lazy morning. We watch people go through the park, enjoy the park, and it reminds us of the good times that we had there, and especially for those of you that just don't live driving distance from one of the main gates. But what I felt was missing was a level of creativity. And that creativity, because it is missing, it takes time to mature that creativity. So about once a month, I like to do a video that's different than what everybody else is doing. And they just, they sink like a rock. But my hardcore friends, the people that watch all my videos, not because it's SEO properly or the buzzworthy legacy pass. What's up with the legacy pass? When will Disneyland reopen? The people that watch everything adore these videos. And it is with their help with those friends that I want to make more. But when it comes over to the Disney news, I saw the second thing that I felt like was missing from the Disney YouTube space. There's a lot of people that are just always negative about everything. There's a channel that I can't stand called Clownfish. It's just like, why do you even talk about Disney if you hate it so much? Oh, I know why. Because you feed people's anger, you feed their rage, and it makes them more angry, and it brings them back, and it keeps watching, so you keep growing. But then there's another level of how people cover Disney where it's toxic positivity. Well, because I go to the park and stand next to the new sandwich and get 10,000 views, I always have to say everything they're doing is great or conveniently just ignore something like Song of the South, which I've seen a lot of people 
defend. Well, you know, it doesn't, the, the racist parts in the rides, it don't offend me, but I can understand how it offends other people. Why are you not offended by racism? <laughs> and these are topics that I'm willing to talk about because honesty is my brand. I'm also trying to, in this space, bring a level-headed approach to things like when the park reopens or, or you know, the annual pass situation that many of us find ourselves in. Like, everything doesn't have to be freak out and scream and cry. I mean, it helps with your views. It helps, you know, build the numbers so you can keep creating. But I just want to do a sophisticated gamble. I want to bet on you that you'll bet on me that some of us want a level-headed, well-researched approach that just says, the park is closed because we're in a global pandemic. COVID's real. (laughs) These shouldn't be shocking things to say. (laughs) But somehow they are because people get confused that if you love something that's based on happiness, joy, and magic, that you always have to portray happiness, joy, and magic. And one of the things that I hope that you love about my content, which is something I've sought out to do, is I love telling the story. I love sharing the magic. But I also love looking at the business. I also love pulling back the curtain and seeing how things are motivated, how things are constructed. And I think that as a small business owner and as a working entrepreneur my entire adult life, there is so much that we can learn from Disney from an emotional perspective. But just as much as we can learn is we look at it from a business perspective. So to summarize, I wanted to bring a level of creativity to the space that I thought was missing, say, the Trampian video. If you watch that unbelievable conquest, which was one of my funnest days ever at Disney, and I never even went into the park, just rode out around the parking lot like a moron for hours and had a fantastic time. I want to bring a truth and real talk to that atmosphere, and I want to bring a level-headed approach. So I've given you a half an hour explaining to you what I was willing to do last year, what I'm willing to do this year. And simply put, I'm going to keep doing that until March 1st, 2022. And the rest is up to you. If you bet on me and you want to support this and become a part of the community and not just pay somebody to make more stuff, but pay somebody to make more stuff that includes you in the creative process, then I hope you go on this journey with me. I hope you decide to become a partner of everything I'm doing with Adventures in Design on YouTube and Disneyland for Designers and podcasting. And I hope that together, me, you, and and a handful of others can make an amazing club, 1313, where we get together, celebrate stuff, get to know each other, enrich that magical experience, and deepen the bond of all these things that we love that have somehow brought all of us closer together. Friends, it has been my complete honor since the park has been closed to take you back into the magic once a week. I know I missed a couple of weeks. It got a little dodgy there for a while, but it's been my complete honor to do this journey with you. And I understand times are what times are. And if you simply can't afford it, no judgment on you. If you listen to this and you at least heard my approach, you'll at least understand where I'm at. If many people can't afford it, And it all has to go away. And it's not like a threat or I dare you. It's just simply put, I'm an adult. I'm a professional. This is my job. And it's time for my job to yield a means so that it continue to be my job. So thank you so much for coming with me on this wild journey. If you've listened to one minute or all 52 episodes, if you've watched, you know, one video or all of them, I sincerely appreciate it. And couple of things I would love to drive home. I don't believe in fans or followers. I believe in friends. And I also believe that people that have talent to make great content should find partnerships with people that enjoy that. And I'm not looking to have the biggest numbers. I'm looking to have a community of people that enjoy what I'm doing and are willing to support it. And if that's perfect for you, then come on over to club1313.com. And uh, as of right now, it's been a huge undertaking doing all of this work and just building the site. 
So everybody who is a early club member, the website is there showing you what you're going to get, and all of that will start to materialize over the next 30 to 60 days. And so basically, if you go in right now, you're going in blind saying, aha, I believe the Bricky's going to do all this stuff. It's just not there yet because we have to hit our milestones. And I'm not going to sit here and explain to you what all the different perks are. You can read and, and you'll know if you want to join or not. But what I'm saying is, is that for the early people that sign up, you're essentially um, funding the birth of the club, giving me the bandwidth to pay for a couple of friends to go in and, and properly tune up the website and uh, giving me the means to sort of build this. So it will be building in front of us day after day. You know, you'll be able to log in at your membership level and there'll be surprises there, fun little things and just the, the ease with you like, all right, I signed up for this. Now what? Everybody who signs up between today and uh, March, or sorry, April 3rd, the first 60 days, if you sign up in that time and you're still subscribed at the end of that term, everybody who signs up will be getting a free gold Disneyland for Designers enamel pen, which will be numbered on the back. That will be your your club membership number there. And uh, that will be a reward that will be sent out later. So essentially, if you go on board with me now, we're both putting a shovel in the dirt and building this together, but you will see day after day, new perks, new rewards, new hangouts will materialize. And this will be, I promise you, I promise you, I will work as hard as I possibly can to make this a fun thing for me and all of you. All right. I believe I've said enough. I hope that I've said it in a clear manner and that you understand what I'm doing. And I hope that you can respect me as a business person that I'm doing what I need to do so all this fun can continue on. Friends, until the next time I see you hanging out with me, whether it's virtually or in the real world, as a proud member of Club 1313, I'll see you back here next week when I tell you another Disneyland story.